Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That'd be me. It's going to be a wonderful hour. I'm uh, going to be joined by uh, Professor Ken Samples in just a minute. You know, there are no shortcuts in life. I pretty much have learned that, and I think we all have learned that. And there's probably no shortcut for renewing your mind. You probably have to intentionally, deliberately fill your mind every day with God's Word. And I think of John seventeen seventeen that says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So I think of all the error of the uh, world today, um, all the error in thinking, and we just have to replace it with God's truth. And the only infallible source uh, is the revealed word of God. And we're going to talk about that today with Ken. We're going to talk primarily about uh, Romans chapter 12, which I'm looking forward to doing. Ken is a regular monthly contributor to the show. I always look forward. I learn so much, and I know you do too, because I hear from you all the time saying, boy, that Ken Samples is a smart guy. He's both a philosopher and a theologian and has really a great passion to help people understand the reasonableness and relevance of the truth claims of Christianity. So he's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe, and he's also authored several books, including Classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World, and God Among Sages. Ken, welcome back to the show. Happy February 1st. Bill, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I I think it's such an important topic. I think it's critical to everybody that we are renewing our minds daily, maybe hourly, <laughs> maybe more than hourly, um, because the world is going to bombard us with all kinds of messages that will try to corrupt our thinking, and we have to be uh, staying the course and presenting um, our bodies as a living sacrifice. So that includes our mind as well. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better. Bill, I think that um, Scripture is a unique source. Um, it is uh, well one of my one of my intellectual heroes, Mortimer Adler, used to say that a great book was a book you couldn't exhaust. Well, uh, Scripture is the greatest of all mm-hmm. the great books. It's a book. I mean, no matter how many times you read the Book of Romans, you never conclude. Well, I got it. I'm done with that. <laughs> so I'll true. Move on. It's quicksand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Scripture is has this capacity to uh, to speak to us, to convict us, to encourage us, um, to instruct us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing nothing like the Word of God. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Romans 12. Tell me, uh, Ken, what you understand Paul's intent in writing this chapter. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to understand uh, where Paul's coming from in this. And when we think about when we think about the Apostle Paul, Bill, I think that he's unique even among the apostles. And the reason I say that is, I 
I think that it is the role of the Apostle Paul largely to, to tell the Christian audience, this is who Jesus is, and this is how Jesus's life then relates to the Hebrew Scriptures, to the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, to the animal sacrifices, to Yahweh. And so Paul's writings uh, are, are, are crucial, and I can't think of um, a more important one than the book of Romans, although I, I don't want to compare one book with the other. They're equally inspired. But I think that Romans is unique from the standpoint that it's probably Paul's fullest expression of, again, who Jesus is, why he is so critical to be the Messiah. So many people look at the book of Romans as uh, such an important book. And then, of course, in Christian history, you have many of the great Christian thinkers looking to the book of Romans, quoting it. Think of Luther and Calvin and the Reformation especially. But the book of Romans is um, a statement where Paul really unpackages uh, who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection, how it relates, again, uh, to the Old Testament, how Christians can come to know God, uh, that we're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ, not by works, though saving faith always motivates good works. So it's a remarkable book. And, um, uh, you know, again, I could say that about all of the books, but this is this is likely Paul's fullest expression of, of what biblical Christianity is all about. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump in to the passage a little bit more, Ken. Let's talk about uh, when Paul uses the expression, the, the pattern of this world. I would love yeah. for you to dissect that one uh, for us, because what, 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 what did Paul mean by that? Yeah, I, I think that's such a critical point. That happens really early on in Romans 12. And again, I think Romans 12 is Paul's kind of getting around to kind of summarizing a lot of things. And he's summarizing uh, both both philosophically and theologically, but also in a very practical way. Bill, it's interesting, pattern of the world. Um, the Germans have a word zeitgeist, which means the spirit of the age, mm-hmm. kind of the intellectual, moral, philosophical ideas that are floating through a particular time. And I think that uh, this is what Paul has in mind. You know, don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world. Um, well, uh, Paul lived in the Greco-Roman Empire. He lived in an age of paganism. Uh, many gods, um, and of course, uh, the morals often of the pagan nations uh, were an affront to uh, the Hebrew idea of God and, and of morality, an affront to the Ten Commandments. And so this this pattern of the world, I mean, some somewhere along the line, your thinking is going to be influenced. It's going to be influenced by Hollywood, or it may be influenced by Harvard, uh, or it can be influenced by heaven. And uh, Paul says that uh, don't conform any longer. Notice he says any longer. He knows that we've already been influenced. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but but something else transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is that zeitgeist. This is the way you see reality, how you understand the nature of goodness, 
how, how you relate to truth, goodness, and beauty. Ken, if the idols uh, that Paul were referring to, there are certainly as many today as there were back then, wouldn't you say? I think that's exactly right. Mm. Uh, they they take different form. You know, n- instead of going to, uh, to instead of going in Rome to the the Pantheon, the this remarkable building where it was devoted to the various gods. The reality is exactly as you say. We have plenty of of uh, idols in our world, and uh, you know, so instead of Zeus and uh, all of the other deities, we of course have, uh, uh, you know, wealth and uh, power, uh, and and our ideas of of drawing attention to ourselves. So you're you're exactly right. We've got plenty of idols. Today. Mm-hmm. And the heart has always been the problem, hasn't it? Yes, because uh, it is in the heart, as the Bible speaks, it is in the heart where we make our most fundamental commitments and our beliefs. Um, and, and the Bible uses the word heart. It is the Greek word cardia. We talk about heart doctors, cardiologists. Uh, the heart is that inner you. That's where you form your, your fundamental beliefs and you hold your, your basic commitment and so that's where God relates to us, and that's where ideas we we pull into ourselves. So the heart is something you have to guard and keep as pure as you can. The uh, cardia word, does that mean it's the decision-making center of who you are? I think that's a pretty fair statement. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, so if you said, love the Lord your God with all your cardia, you would say, love the Lord your God with the decisions you make. Would that be fair? Absolutely. Love, love. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I think Jesus is using kind of a Hebrew parallelism to say, love him with all that you are. Love him at the core of who you are, at the core of your being. But if we love God with the decisions we make and we make good choices, isn't that being obedient to his word and to him? Absolutely. Uh, The most um, influential moral system in the history of the world is the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul knows all about those commandments. He knows them inside and out from the book uh, of the Old Testament, Exodus, Deuteronomy, etc. And Christians like Jews have largely adopted the idea that uh, our life is to be lived according to God's commands. All right. So in the chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, don't live any longer the way the world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you. So it seems like our thinking is needs to be changed, not uh, conform to the world, but then you're in a place where you're able to understand what God's will is for you. Do I have that right? Yeah, and, that, and that's a critical part. Uh, stop being. Uh, Paul knows that Christians living in the city of Rome in the first century have been influenced. Stop it. Then the transition. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that will put you in a position to know what God's will is, and to know how to act upon God's will. Mm-hmm. And Ken, shouldn't that be highly motivating for all listeners? 
Don't people want to know what God's will is for their life? And if they don't know, they might want to start by the transforming of their mind so they can uh, test and discern what the will of God is for them, which is obedience to his word and to him. Absolutely. I mean, as Christians, we, we, are, we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our master. We are his people, um, and we want our life to conform to his, his will, to his commands. Uh, I want my thoughts. I want my actions. Uh, I want my life. Uh, to reflect those kinds of things. And uh, so Paul here is calling the church back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rome is worldly, and it's easy for Christians to be uh, conforming to the pattern of that world. Mm-hmm. Text just came in, Ken, isn't, but isn't moralistic teaching counter to the gospel? Well, that's a really good question, and I'm glad it, I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, I would say this: that uh, the same apostle Paul in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter two, and in Titus, chapter two, he says we're saved by grace. Uh, grace is unmerited favor. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works. But then he says that. Uh, uh, good works are motivated by grace. And so it is correct to say that uh, moralistic works don't save the soul. I, I, I liked what Luther and Calvin both said at the time of the Reformation. They said, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Mm, it's, always like accompanied. it's always accompanied by works of loving obedience. And so... Um, it's important to recognize that we're not saved by good works, but good works are those things that God intends for us to do. Amen. We'll take a little break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and a theologian. We're talking about Romans chapter 12. If you've got a question or a comment, I'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Professor Ken Samples, and that is his uh, walk-up music. We're talking about uh, Romans chapter 12 today. We haven't gotten very far, which is A-OK with me. Uh, in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And Ken, I'd like to dig into that that renewing of your mind phrase. Yeah, you know what I think is really important, Bill, is that... Uh, Paul is telling us that our minds really matter, uh, that our mind is uh, the prism uh, through which we we think, we reason, we make decisions. It's so important for Christians to uh, to have a renewed mind, to recognize that we live according to different principles. Uh, we have a different understanding as to the meaning and purpose of life. Uh, and there's no doubt that today, uh, just like in first century Rome, Rome was, uh, you know, it was the empire, uh, had many false teachings, false ideas, um, 
there it was difficult to discover the truth there because there are many conflicting ideas and many different moral systems. And uh, so the words of the Apostle Paul are eternal to us. And so when it comes to our mind, um, I mean, we, we need to be, I like to say, we need to have a, a warm heart and a, and a tough mind, uh, simply meaning that, uh, you know, when it comes to people, I, I want to be gracious, I want to be loving, uh, I want to be tolerant of other people, but I'm intolerant of bad ideas. I'm intolerant of ideas that are false, that are misleading. And so uh, Christians need to be tough-minded, careful, and reflective. And Paul certainly tells us here that the renewing of that mind, uh, you know, there's, there's only one place where the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture. And uh, as we read Scripture, study it, reflect it, pray upon it, that has that capacity for transforming our mind. Um, and, and so in this, this remarkable book of Romans, and in chapter 12, where he's starting now to, to summarize all of these practical ideas, the renewing of the mind, being transformed by the Spirit of God through the Word, rather th than through the Spirit of the age. When I hear the word renewing, Ken, I think that the information already exists in your mind and you're just refreshing it. But what about the understanding or learning of new information that will speak truth into your mind and make it renewable? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think that you're right. I, I think that what we're, what we're focusing on here is Paul at this point uh, has presented the case for the gospel, the clarity of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, who he is, what he has done, what we are called to, um, how our life should conform uh, to the Old Testament and to the gospel itself. But he knows that we know something, and he wants those ideas to, to be permeated. Uh, and as I said, he says, stop conforming. So some of that has to be chipped away. Some of that has to be removed so that we can focus more clearly and um, I think that's what he is, uh, that's what he's getting at in these early verses as of Romans 12. Mm -hmm. From a practical standpoint, what would be considered activities that would renew the mind? Would it be reading, Bible study, church, fellowship, all that stuff? All of those things are, are very, very important. Um, you know, the Christian life, uh, I think of, of C.S. Lewis, who says that... Um, you know, things kind of drop out of our mind. Our faith has to be renewed. We have to be reminded. We have to be told in different ways. Um, a life of devotion, a life of prayer, a life of the reading and study of God's Word, a life of uh, commitment to, to church, to corporate worship, all of those things uh, are are critically important. And if we don't do them, uh, we will notice what C.S. Lewis pointed out, that um, these things don't readily stay in there. Uh, there's a lot, whole lot of other crud that can get in mm. there and contaminate what we, what we know to be true. That's so true about so many things in life, though, isn't it, Ken? You, you, you know how to do something, you practice it over time, you have a certain level of proficiency, and if you don't return to it, 
over time, you'll start to lose that skill, that that ability to perform at that same level will be diminished. It doesn't it seems that it also applies to the stimulation of your mind, what you are able to retain, how often you return to information to renew your mind with it? Yeah, I, I think that's right on. I mean, I think that's why in Christian history, Bill, you have catechisms written in the form of question and answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a capacity to to ask a fundamental question and then to have an answer that responds to that type of question. And I think that in many areas of our life, we have to do this very thing. Uh, we have to we have to practice these things. We have to renew them. Um, you know, sometimes when I get a little bit older, uh, my mind, doesn't remember things as well as it did 30 years ago. And so I have to work at it and I have to keep coming back to it. And so uh, there's a reason why the word discipline and disciple come from the same root. Mm -hmm. Ken, I'll just give you a little pearl of wisdom here. Doing something over and over is the key to repetition. (laughs) I'm just going to give you that little pearl of wisdom. No charge. I like like it. You know, you know, the the reality is that um, the things that we do over and over, in fact, there was a book um, called Outliers, and it talked about some of the people who've made tremendous contributions to fields. And it said that, um, you know, you need to do something for 10,000 hours if you're really going to be successful at it. Well, think of that kind of discipline, 10,000 hours. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of our love for God, our devotion to God, I mean, we believe that God is real. He is in our life. He is the most important thing in our life, the most important person in our life. Um, you know, if if we commit to watching television, if we commit to uh, golfing, if we commit to any other type of thing. Uh, why not think of our our studies, our our prayer time, our devotions, our reading of scripture, you know, the attending of church? Why not think about those in in terms of this idea of discipline and uh, you know and deep commitment? Yeah, so right on. All right, Ken, I'm going to take a little break. I, I think it's that time, and we're going to come back with more. We're going to uh, jump into the challenge that social media poses in terms of reflecting Christian character and and even presenting a Christian witness. That's what's coming up next. My guest is Professor Ken Samples, and we're going to also be willing to take your questions or your comments, whatever they are. You can text them to me at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. It's the Afternoon Show. 
I am very happy to be talking to Professor and Theologian Ken Samples today. We're chatting about Romans chapter 12. And Ken, before we get into the challenges that social media poses, um, I would like to uh, jump to a question that came in from a listener. Can you expand on what Paul understood of Jewish belief that the physical body was evil, allowing one to do what appetites dictate since the spirit is what matters? Yeah, yeah, interesting question. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Well, it's important, I think, to realize that um, Rome, uh, where Paul, Paul is, of course, writing to the Christians at Rome, all ideas ultimately ended up in Rome, and um, early on in Christianity, uh, there was a, a idea called docetism. Doceo in Greek means to seem. The idea was that Jesus only seemed to be human. Uh, he, he didn't really have a physical body when he walked on the sand uh, near the Sea of Galilee. He didn't leave any footprints. Uh, this doceo or docetism um, comes out of the idea again that uh, that the world is illusory, maybe even evil. So th- there are a lot of philosophical ideas. Ultimately, this will come in the form of Gnosticism, a secret knowledge, an alternative Christianity, if you will, that you're saved by getting out of your body, which is a bad thing. And you do it through kind of gaining knowledge. So uh, I think the point uh, that we can relate, Bill, is um, how important is conforming, how important is uh, not conforming or staying away from the patterns of this world when you have these new philosophies and, and ideas. And Paul later says in another epistle, Colossians, you know, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. I think the word philosophy there is equivalent to what we mean by worldview. So it is not just the practices of paganism taking place in the Roman Empire. Uh, The the intellectual world of the Greco-Roman Empire was very robust, uh, but there are a lot of ideas that are contradictory and conflict with Christian teaching. Ken, do you think it's more of a challenge now to live lives of distinction apart from what and the way the world lives? I think one important reason to learn from the past, and of course learning from the past um, critically through Scripture, but I think there are Christian experiences of the past. One of the reasons I wrote my book, Classic Christian Thinkers, Bill, I think they can teach us because in many ways, even though our technology and there is an advancement of the world in which we live, no doubt, uh, science, medicine, technology, but when it comes to the human condition, um, it's the same. And uh, Christians in the ancient world, uh, they encountered the same kinds of things that we encounter And so uh, if we're people of the book and we're people of history, I think we can always learn from the examples of others. Mm -hmm. All right, let's jump into the social media uh, topic, and let's talk about the challenges that that social media does pose when it comes to showing, reflecting a Christian character and, and presenting a strong Christian witness. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think social media is very engaging. It's very intriguing. I think I first learned about Facebook right around 2009. So it's been about 10 years that I have known about it and had some involvement with it. And uh, there are times I'm very thankful uh, for social media, for Facebook, for Twitter. Uh, it gives us the capacity to communicate with people. I'm sure many people love the ability to, to communicate with their family and friends who live long ways away. Um, but it also takes a lot of your time. And it is really a marketplace of ideas. I mean, we know that just looking back at the not too long ago at the elections and all of the ideas that float through and uh, philosophical ideas and entertainment ideas, all of these kinds of things are are reflected in it. But one point that I think is really interesting to me, Bill, is this, is that when you're on Facebook, let's say, it applies to Twitter and it probably applies to other forms of social media, uh, you really are in a marketplace that is, it's not just Bill, it's kind of like being on your program, Bill. I'm talking to you and you're talking to me, but there are other people listening mm -hmm. and they can, they can text in or call in a question. Well, I've also discovered, though, that when people talk to me face to face, they usually talk to me differently when it's a private discussion than when everybody's listening. And when everybody's listening, then, I, then I'm very interested in saving face. I'm very interested maybe in drawing attention to myself. I notice that there's a, a lot of humor, and I'm not against it. I think, you know, something funny is good for us. It's good to laugh. But I noticed that I think on social media, the ultimate is whatever you do, say something funny, sarcastic or satirical. And um, so I, I wonder how artificial it becomes. I, I, won I wonder, does the Ken Samples that's on Facebook and Twitter, is that the real Ken Samples? <laughs> or is that the way Ken Samples wants to appear? Great question. I mean, you're presenting something to the world. And at what point do you want to have people like what you write? And at what point do you go, I'm just going to speak the truth, whether they like it or not? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I think social media gives us a lot. I remember, again, 10 years ago at Reasons to Believe, we were we had a meeting about how much involvement are we going to have on social media? And there were differing ideas. One person said, well, you know, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of people out there and we can have an influence. Uh, we have an apologetic message we want to get across. Um, and all of that is all of that is, again, true. But how do we how do we relate one to another? Um, you know, some of the some of these ideas that Paul sets forth are are pretty powerful, like don't think of yourselves more highly than you should. Wow, that strikes, I think, at the very heart of that sinful nature that we've been influenced by. Thomas Aquinas said the sign of original sin is self-obsession. Wow. And as I, think, as I think about the sins, you know, in the Middle Ages, they talked about the seven deadly sins, anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, sloth. You know, as I've thought about those, it seems like the anchor or the chain from one sin to the other is selfishness. And Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
Well, um, self-obsession. I mean, I mean, the reality is, and I'm just going to talk to you, Bill, right now, as if it's just me and you. Okay. There, there are times where it's hard for me not not to just think about me. Uh, there are times where I'm I have uh, an obsession with myself, and I have God's word speaking to me and saying to me, "Don't think of yourselves more highly than you should." Instead of giving in to the impulse of narcissism and selfishness, how about loving other people? How about other people? And uh, you know. This, I think, is very relevant to us. And I think I think it's easy to I think it's easy to uh, really be uh, kind of mean spirited and, and, and unloving on social media. I mean, you can, after all, block somebody. And sometimes you might have to. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm always asking the question, Bill, you and I are having a conversation and there are non-Christians observing. What are they drawing? What what conclusions are they drawing? What how are they looking at these kinds of things? And because evangelism is very important to me, uh, because I want to see people engage the Christian message, I don't want to be doing something on social media that maybe they won't understand or may turn them off. But you know, again, that's uh, that's part of it. I I think. Sometimes the the strongest attraction to Christianity is the church, and one of the greatest uh, impediments to Christianity is the church. <laughs> yeah, let's um, talk about some of the um, aspirational virtues that Paul references in, in Romans twelve. Uh, there, there's this enduring sinful tendency that Paul seems to be reacting to in his list of these virtues. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I and I and I like that expression, aspirational virtues. I mean, there are always times where somebody, you know, will stand up and read a passage from the Apostle Paul, and you know, First um, Corinthians thirteen: uh, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I'm and I'm thinking in myself. I hope that's an aspirational. I'm striving toward that, mm-hmm. but boy, there are times where that doesn't fit me all that well. I I think that again, this sinful tendency that creeps in there is this idea of selfishness and self-obsession. And I think Paul hits it hard by by helping us to be other-oriented, just just as Jesus was other-oriented. Uh, he left all the advantages that he had in heaven. He didn't cling on those, but he emptied himself. He gave up his position of authority, his his position of grandeur, and he became a man. I mean, I mean, think about the infinite in the finite. Mm. He became a man, and pa- Paul, I think, clearly picks up this idea and says that Jesus. Jesus is first and foremost our Lord and Savior, but his life is also our moral example. And just as we need to to be careful about the narcissism and the self-obsession and to be devoted to other people, uh, to not think of ourselves so highly, to to reach out. You know, um, 
I can tell you how many verses in the New Testament bill that talk about love. Um, and I think we have to ask ourselves, uh, well, I'll, I'll just put it this way. I think if at the end of my life, Bill, I've written a lot of books and given a lot of lectures, um, and yet uh, the people who really know me are not convinced that I am a loving, gracious, caring person, then there's, there's a deep disconnect. And um, Paul constantly brings us back to this, you know, loving attitude. You know, rather than being conceited, rather than insisting on having the highest place, um, humility, humility is the, is the virtue that Paul talks about. Ken, can we trust our own heart's sincerity? Um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the critical point, I think, about Christianity. Christianity is a religion that says, you know, the, the problem with our sinfulness is that it flows to the very core of our being. Uh, and in the Old Testament, in the wisdom literature, it says, you know, who has kept their heart pure? Um, even in the Christian life, uh, we sin in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. I think sin is a bigger problem than most Christians realize. The good news, of course, is Jesus is a greater Savior than mm-hmm. we know. So, and, and I think we need both. We need, to, we need to both recognize the depth of our sinfulness and the glory of God's grace and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll have one more uh, segment with uh, Professor Ken Samples. If you've heard anything you'd like more clarification on or you have a question or a comment, let me know what it is. Send me a text, with Professor and Theologian Ken Samples. We're digging into Romans 12 today. I've saved some of the heavy lifting for the end of the hour here, Ken, so here we go. I'd like you to uh, contrast, if you would, the the attitudes um, and the actions of being gracious, loving, and humble, okay? And I want you to contrast that with the sinful attitudes of uh, cruelty and pride and being condescending. Yeah, I think that these are the very things that that Paul addresses. I mean, I think cruelty strikes at the very heart of love. They are so so much in contrast uh, to one another. Love is uh, always looking for the other, looking for to sacrifice for the other person, uh, to be cruel, to hurt. Um, you know, to, to use our intellectual abilities to, to do a number on people, um, you know, and then, and then humility, 
uh, in contrast with pride. Uh, it says that Lucifer, Lucifer became the devil through pride. Um, C.S. Lewis calls pride the anti-God state of mind. Um, humility is not not thinking bad of ourselves. It's just thinking about ourselves less. Mm -hmm. um, and and again, there there is there is the the temptation. I mean, when I think about social media and these kinds of virtues, Bill, I think, how long are the comments that I make on the web and on social media going to be there? And it, this is a community, so uh, people see what I've written. If I come off as sarcastic, if I come off as kind of uh, conceited, uh, there are times people, you know, they know that I'm a philosopher, so they want to argue with me. And there are times I like to take the gloves off and really go at it. But, you know, I, I think not only are other people watching what I write and reading what I write, but the Lord is reading what I write. And, um, you know, there was one philosopher said that, you know, everybody has three lives, a, uh, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. Well, it's, it's very easy to fall into that secret life where uh, we actually have values that are not consistent with our public Christian point of view. And I think the more that we can, you know, we can be authentic and not compartmentalize, the better. So these kinds of virtues of cruelty and uh, narcissism, they clash with these other ideas. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, all of us struggle. I call them aspirational virtues for a reason. Sanctification is a long and challenging and difficult process. And it's it's easy for us, uh, you know, to to think to only think of ourselves. But I, I think we have to get we have to get into the mix. And uh, if you know, I believe salvation is by grace alone. I think grace, charis in the New Testament. I think grace, the grace of God, the unmerited love and grace of God, is the most special thing in the world. And then I turn around and I'm not gracious. That just seems so out of place. It doesn't fit. And yet I do experience that. But um, I think what I would say to you and to your listeners is that if you're not as gracious a person as you'd like to be, I'm glad you recognize that. I think it's the grace of God telling us that. I worry about people who don't struggle with that issue. And uh, again, uh, a lot of times we can, uh, we can communicate one thing about God but in terms of our own life, it seems like, wow, what a contrast. The great news is we can be forgiven. The great news is that the Lord loves us and forgives us. But it's also important to, to witness to others in terms of being authentic. And uh, so again, I would say, I have to tell myself, it's not how many books I write. It's not how many radio programs I'm on. Um, when it comes right down to it, I think near the end of my life, uh, I'm going to be thinking about my relationship with my wife and my children. I'm going to be thinking about uh, the kind of individual, the character I had. And uh, therefore, love and, and graciousness and humility, those are difficult virtues to apprehend, but uh, 
that's what I'm called to, and all of Christ's followers are called to those virtues. Mm-hmm. A point you made earlier, Ken, when you talked about self-centeredness, I would probably add that into the mix of things like pride and cruelty, uh, which are the kinds of actions that I've seen more and more of in the world in the last 10 years than ever before. Yes, and we're we're called to such a different, you know, again, back to the back to the pattern of this world, the the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're called to try to think, um, you know, to, to be deferential to people. You know, um, uh, there are times where I might critique a, an atheist philosopher or I might critique a Buddhist philosopher. I, I try to read their writings in the highest light possible. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, you know, when I hear some person's f- political philosophy, I try to be generous to it. I, in the end, I may disagree. I may think that it's dead wrong. Um, but there is a kind of a tendency that, look, if I don't agree with you, well, I'm going to do all I can to take everything away from you so that you don't have an opportunity to do that. And that's, I think that that's uh, not only, dis, you know, destructive to our political uh, discussion, I think it, 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 it hurts our character so, as human beings. Yeah, but the more we just have dialogue with each other, if you have views that are really different from mine, isn't the kindest thing to do is to say, tell me more. Tell me how you understand and just let a person explain their thinking and their heart. I think once a person feels like they've been heard and understood, I think their defenses go down. I think that's exactly right. Um, I I think that uh, I think the reality is, if you want to influence somebody, uh, then demonstrating attitudes like understanding and patience and graciousness go a long way. Yeah, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mean you're agreeing with them. It just means you're you're giving them the honor of of listening and hearing them out. That's right. I respect you as a person. You're made in the image of God. I want to hear what you have to say. I'll I'll decide in the end whether I agree or not. But uh, it's critical that uh, you have dignity and value, even if I even if you're in a different political party, a different denomination, a different religion. You're a human being made in the image of God, and and according to Scripture, I should extend to you respect. Mm-hmm. So the message is, the message would be, you matter versus you're a problem I need to fix. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, again, I think, uh, I think there are things that go into persuasion that are not merely logical arguments. Uh, There are things like fairness. There are things like graciousness. There is a thing like being deferential, giving the benefit of the doubt. When mm-hmm. somebody does that, I drop all of my my defenses. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 then willing to do that to them. Wow, this guy, he's take wow, he he's actually listening to what I have to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I might even more I might be more willing to consider his position. Right. So just a couple of minutes left, Ken. How is sanctification to be understood in this in a Christian sense. Yeah, I think, Bill, that uh, 
I think we need to realize that sanctification is always challenging. It's a slow process. I mean, I guess God could have in a in an instant just transformed us into his glorified form. I think that will await the next life. We talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. But I, I think that there is some very important uh, things to understand about sanctification. And and it's the recognition that just as I'm I'm desiring to be changed and transformed into the image of God, I need to realize that's true for you. It's true for other people. I, I need to also realize that original sin stings and hits hard. And uh, I want to go back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the primary agent working in our sanctification. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. I want to hear the message of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also the principal figure of the Trinity that inspired the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So being open to God's Spirit, yeah. uh, I, want that, I want the Spirit to change me. Yeah. Ken, you've helped us renew our minds today. Thanks so much for doing the program. Always great to talk to you. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Yep. Professor and theologian Ken Samples has been my guest. And go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. That is our show for today. It's been a wonderful uh, time. Thank you to all my guests who made it so great. And then tomorrow, I'll be joined by Jeff Verdorn and Rob Bluey and uh, Dr. Greg Borgon. So that's all ahead tomorrow. Can't wait. I'm already excited to be with you then. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.